Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he was a successful engineer and family man. But he wound up in prison for robbing 30 banks. How did that happen? Opioids. We'll review the podcast Hooked from Campside Media. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Rebecca, did you notice what I did with the script this week? You took out Love of My Life? No, that was never it. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Even better for somebody of your advanced age. Yes. I Ooh. All the words that you have to read, I made them extra big. You did? And all your other notes are regular size. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> what a good husband. Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. I do see that now. It looks like one of those Gmails where somebody cut and pasted a yeah, bunch exactly. of things. And it's like all different sizes. Some of that may be that. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady and author of Dead on Deadline, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hi, Rebecca. Well, Kevin, we have something to start the podcast this week. Uh, One of my favorite features that we sometimes do do you want to go ahead and announce that right now? Yes. True, True crime, crime update. update. Okay, so we're going to do this quickly because we're going to talk about it more on the after show for our uh, Patreon members. But All right. there was some big news this week associated with my favorite podcast of 2021 and perhaps my favorite true crime podcast of all time. Murdoch Murders? <laughs> no. Uh Related to the podcast Suspect, now this is from the Seattle Times, it was a front page story last week. Emmanuel Fair, who was the subject of the investigation and trials related to the murder at the center of the podcast Suspect, is now suing King County plus a cop plus the prosecutor because of his wrongful jail time, he says, because of their uh, aggressive prosecution of him, because he was incarcerated for nine years. Right. And then later tried twice and then not convicted. So it's like a speedy trial kind of complaint? So here's what the complaint says. Because you can't be wrongfully convicted if you weren't convicted, right? Okay, so the complaint contends police and prosecutors botched the probe and wrongly targeted him because he was a black man with a criminal record. Believe that, yep. Despite evidence implicating uh, Arpana Janaga's then neighbor, who is white. Yep. 
After zeroing in on Fair because of his race and rap sheet, investigators relied on cherry-picked DNA evidence while disregarding other genetic findings and suspects as part of a, quote, gather facts that fit the theory strategy the suit alleges. The result, it claims, was a biased probe that caused Fair to be arrested and charged without probable cause for a murder he did not commit. Then... Due to, quote, inexcusable delays in Fair's trial and a prolonged pretrial detention, he spent more than nine years in King County Correctional Facility as an innocent man in conditions of inhumane confinement that are well known to have a detrimental effect on mental health. So basically, the suit says he was in uh, jail for longer than anyone had ever been in that jail. Mm-hmm. And he's going after the prosecutor, the cop and the county. Sounds like he's got a basis of a solid case. So you guys all listen to the podcast. Do you uh, have thoughts about Fair's lawsuit? Uh, Laura, what do you think? Good for him. I am pretty excited about this. Uh, so I want to know if his friend Macklemore is, uh, you know, how he feels about this as well. But uh, good for him because that this case really is pissed- fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I, I feel like that case was so blatant in terms of the other guy like taking off for Canada yeah. and like, what the fuck? And like, oh, but we're going to focus on this guy. It was maddening to listen to. So I can only hope that like other podcasts that we've listened to where there's been such a clear cut case of the wrong person being targeted, like Curtis Flowers and other cases where eventually we do get this vindication where the person, you know, gets some relief in the justice system. I hope that happens here. But yeah, that makes me that makes me happy. I mean, it's I, I will happy walk for that, not rage walk. What do mm-hmm. you think, Toby? The first my first reaction is I hope he doesn't own like a car junkyard because the only other person I know of who sued a county for that kind of thing ended up having a dead body on his right. Isn't that the whole Steve Avery thing? Yes. Oh, yes. I thought you were talking about Frank Carlson. And, Same thing. And do you know something? Oh, yeah. Do you know that the the person who made Making a Murder was actually a story consultant on Suspect? I don't know if you know oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. So I, my, my question is, so is this happening sort of concurrently or roughly concurrently with the podcast or did the podcast actually have some effect on this? Well, it's funny you should mention that, Toby, because in two days, Crime Writers on After Show, in which we will unpack this a little more, I happen to talk to someone who knows a little bit more about this than we all do. And I'm just going to drop a little clip here to let you know who I'm talking to. My name is Matt Scher. I was the host of Suspect, which came out in August of 2021. And I am also the co-founder of Campside Media. So, Toby, the answer to that question, uh, Matt Scher will answer that. Uh, And also the Seattle Times article that I referenced, which we'll put in our newsletter if people subscribe, which is free on our website, crimewriterson.com, also talks about the fact that the podcast does, in fact, interact with the lawsuit. So it is fascinating. Um, Kevin, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on this lawsuit? I'm well, (laughs) I don't want to be called as a juror, so maybe I'll just... I, th- I think it's a good idea. I think, I think I, idea. yeah, I think until there are consequences for, you know, bad actions and stuff like this is going to happen. Well, as I point out to Matthew in our conversation that you'll hear in the after show, we're about to review a podcast in which a man spent eight years in prison for robbing 30 banks, right? Yes. <laughs> and he was white. So there's that. All right. So I think we should get on to our review for this show, shall we? Let's do it. That went a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm not threatening anybody or putting a gun in anybody's face. I'm just uh, taking a little bit of money. And <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this, but in some respects, it was kind of fun. 
Tony Hathaway was one of the country's most prolific bank robbers, having pulled off 30 holdups in the Seattle area in a year. He refined his get-in, get-out technique until a police task force dedicated to hunting him finally caught him in the act. I remember walking out and all of a sudden I just had somebody running at me with a gun in my face and they were coming out of behind trees and cars and it was crazy. But how did Tony go from being a successful aviation engineer to a successful bank robber? After a painful injury, Tony was prescribed OxyContin. It fueled an addiction that led him to homelessness, desperation, and a crime spree. And this exact thing, the slippery slope Tony was on, it was happening all over America, in places that had never seen widespread drug addiction. Addicts were suddenly everywhere, hidden in plain sight. The Campside Media and Apple podcast, Hooked, tells the story of an ordinary guy who found himself doing unthinkable things after developing an addiction to painkillers. Host Josh Dean, previously of The Clearing, spent years putting together Tony's story. It's part crime memoir and part case study into the opioid crisis. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Hooked. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Toby, is this a true crime podcast? You sent me a note about that, and I'm just curious to know your thoughts. Uh, It feels like it's about maybe a third true crime podcast and then two thirds a narrative about this guy's, you know, experience with opioid use disorder. And that's not necessarily a criticism, which and and I 100 percent wholeheartedly encourage people to listen to it because there's a huge opioid use epidemic in our country. Like this is this is a huge, huge story. I mean, I'm not watching a whole lot of TV and stuff, but I I just don't know how a story about a guy who who's who suffers from this and what his life becomes. And I think it's it's not atypical of you know, people who, who who suffer from opioid use disorder. Yeah. So, Lara, what do you think? Because what Toby said is true. I mean, this really is about a father and a son and their substance use disorders and, you know, everything that comes with that. But the in, as Josh tells us at, at the beginning, is he was looking to do a story about a successful bank robber. And Tony was like, well, I robbed 30 banks, so maybe you should do the story about me. Do you think that this podcast, uh, would the end, could it be sold about, like, I want to do a podcast about a guy who used to be an engineer and then fell into this hole? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and I, I liked the bank heist story. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to other podcasts that we've reviewed. Like there was the one where there was that crazy robbery where the guy then like hopped in the inner tube and went down the river and all that stuff. The sneak. But this one, I just, I was really intrigued by the number of robberies. I loved the description of the robberies, but I felt like it was almost two separate podcasts because the robbery part itself to me was very fascinating. And you know, then we flipped to the addiction part. And so, you know, I was reading, there was an interview that Josh did about this. And he said, it's like the bank robbery and the dynamic parts of the story are the candy that gets you to eat the broccoli. And the broccoli (laughs) is the addiction and the opioid story. And I'm definitely not addicted to broccoli, by the way. You don't want broccoli, but would you eat broccoli if you had candy first, Kevin? Maybe. 
Okay. Or candy on your broccoli. So, yeah. you know, so it, it's definitely like two separate podcasts. And I did kind of in the beginning when one of the earlier episodes where there was kind of a long sort of sideways into how did Oxycontin come to prevalence and how did this happen? And I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. But I think it was a really good portrait of how somebody gets into addiction. It's just, I mean, I can't lie. I kind of love the bank heist part of it as well. So perhaps I like the candy too. Yeah, we've had a, you know several great podcasts that are like this. They are a true crime wrapped around a larger societal issue. And I think this is probably the first time we've done something so explicit about addiction and the opioid crisis. But, you know, while Josh said that he was originally looking for, you know, a bank robbery or a crime story and kind of fell into this. In the last episode, we hear that the reason Tony finally said yes to somebody because a lot of people have been, you know, reaching out to him to do a crime story. He said yes to Josh because he thought it would also be something more than that. And that's, I think, what we got. I I probably, if I wanted to spend more time cataloging, you know, whether it's 50-50 or 60-40 on the crime or the addiction story, I think it doesn't matter because the addiction story is a crime story. Well, I will say one thing, and this is a criticism of the podcast, because I just spent a bunch of time working on a project where I work, Death Resulting, which is a new angle on the story, which is about a law that uh, basically prosecutes people for murder when they share drugs with someone that person dies, whether they're a dealer or not. And that felt like a new angle to me, to the team, and that's why we did that story. My major criticism of this podcast, if I have one, is that to me, the path to the use disorder story, the I injured myself, I got pills from a doctor, I went to a pill mill, and then I eventually went to heroin, and my life got ruined and I lost my job. I honestly do feel like that is a familiar and common story. The bank robbery part, it's new, it's what, it, yeah, it's the hook but it's also, honestly, I learned more, honestly. Like whenever I hear a story, I always want to learn something. Like, what do I learn? I didn't learn a lot um, from that part of you the story. You mean the gateway into the drug. Yeah, because I... But I, that is the I, point I, I, is do, that it's I, common. I do, but I do feel like it's been reported. I mean, I, I, I don't feel like um, that was particularly yeah. new, that but part of it. smoking heroin with your son. That's, that, well, that was interesting. You know. Toby, I, I, do, do, you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I do feel a lot of time was spent on something that we know and maybe less time was spent on the parts that maybe we, we haven't heard or don't know, the more interiority and then also the consequences or the actions that we haven't heard before. If that makes sense like the the codependency stuff was rough and hard and i actually i'm not sure it was labeled as codependency and rough and hard and it was fleshed out quite a bit but like a lot of time was spent telling me stuff that i i do feel like we know if that makes sense yeah i mean it's hard for me to figure that out just because in my my day job like i've spent the last you know, eight months or so, like sort of researching the life courses of people in this one city with opioid use disorder, largely through de-identified police reports. So I've been sort of immersed in this for a while. And, you know, the way I was thinking about it was how does this story, how does it compare to, you know, these basically like 80 stories that I've looked at and looked at for, you know, commonalities and things like that. And, and how did this story kind of match up with that? 
And so is it representative of a typical case? And in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think what's kind of unique about him, I think, is this bank robbery thing. I mean, that, that, that's not, you know, a, a lot of stuff is like sort of more petty crime, you know, shoplifting, things like that. The idea that he's going to keep hitting these banks, even though he's not getting much money and it's high risk, obviously, I thought was pretty interesting. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's a little bit hard for me to figure out what do I know just because I've been like sort of immersed in it and yeah. like what would like a person at large know. But I do feel like there's a lot of people who I know who, who probably aren't too aware of what the reality of yeah. opioid use disorder is and the fact that, you know, in fact, the people with it are essentially sick all the time unless they can get the drug. It's yeah. not that we're constantly like- as we heard, yeah having fun and, you know, getting high all the time. It's like, no, you're like suffering constantly unless you can get something to relieve it. Laura, I kind of thought the bank robbery thing very much paralleled Tony's job. Mm -hmm. What I thought was super interesting was we heard that he didn't have a college degree, but he ascended into this job where he was essentially leading an engineering team designing airplanes, which, by the way, kind of scares me a little bit. (laughs) That being said, I was like, Boeing, hey, uh, I would like to think that the person who designed my airplane had an advanced degree, but hey, maybe he's super genius. That's cool. (laughs) Uh, But that being said, it also reminded me, like, he's a very highly skilled, highly intelligent person who's like, here's a really efficient way to get 2,500 bucks that isn't stealing 100 bucks from 25 different people, right? But we also got this very much root talky how-to about robbing these banks. Those are the parts of the podcast that are very dynamic. What did you think about that part of the storytelling? I loved it. Um, I loved that he was so forthcoming about it and he was like kind of just nonchalant. Well, yeah. And then I got this shirt and it like had eye holes and I could like have it down and then pull it down over my head at the last minute. And like, you know how he, he went in the bathroom in one of the heists and sat there for a while before he went back out. And I liked when they went out and actually went to visit locations like, oh, here's the bank he robbed that's no longer there because it got leveled. It's gone. <laughs> I'm very I'm gravely disappointed that we just drove all the way down here. And the, <laughs> the one bank we really wanted to see has now been leveled. <laughs> it does not. It's a hole in the ground. The how to rob a bank thing was um, just, I thought, really interesting. I was like, geez, I mean, robbing a bank, is, isn't it a federal crime? And yep. uh, for yeah. like 2500 bucks, I don't know. I think I might plan if I was that smart and I was that good that I could rob 30 banks in a year, I might plot like a bigger heist for some more money if I was going to go to jail in the end anyway, you know? Just saying. Although it is easy to rob a bank because they just give you the money. Like anybody can rob a bank. You go in, they're like, here, give me the money. Okay, here we go. Because we're taught not to like fight with them. So, you know, it is an easy way to go out and and get some quick cash. Yeah, you know, I think we've already decided that the point of the podcast is not necessarily the bank robberies, but I do appreciate any kind of how-to for crimes like heists and bank robberies and how they did it. Because I think that there is a Walter Mitty side, a criminal Walter Mitty side to everybody kind of wondering like, well, if I could get away with it, maybe I would. And, you know, so learning his technique, I thought was was really interesting. I really wanted to I wish his grand his mother was still around uh, who used to work at the bank. I'd like to shake out of her a couple of tips. Candy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm with Laura. I'm disappointed at how unlucrative 
a holdup can be. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Oh, let's play some music. (laughs) (laughs) What have we got going on in our Patreon right now, Kevin? Right now on the Crime Writers on After Show, it's a very special episode. Yes. Because Rebecca Lavoie has an interview with podcast legend Matthew Scher. Yes. From Suspect and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, just suspect, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, on this podcast anyway, because this actually ties into a true crime update. Yeah, that we talked about at the beginning of the show, of course, that that's the lawsuit filed by Emanuel from Suspect against the county in which he was jailed and yeah. the people involved in the case. I know that we played a tiny clip at the beginning of the show, but can I just tease a question I've always wanted to ask somebody, always, and I'm not going to play the answer, just the question. Yeah, sure. Let's make it more complicated. Okay. I do have one question for you. I've always wanted to ask uh, a podcaster this whose show I've loved so much. Um, what happens when you make something that I give a thumbs down to? Like, this is, it makes it like a stupid question. Uh, is that like, okay, are we still going to be cool? What else is going on in the Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, well, we've got a, a new episode of Married with Podcast yes. out. Why do you love that show so much? I think it's my favorite. Because you love giving advice. Well, I, it's my favorite thing we make. A, I do think it's actually, a, honestly, a good show. But also, it's a, time, a, a chance to spend time with you talking about other people's problems. <laughs> but isn't it fun to talk about other people's problems it for is. a change? It, it really is. is. Yeah. And that's really fun. And also, our, our questions are so thoughtful. And they really give me a chance to sort of like dig in and you a chance to kind of dig in. It's really, really fun. You know what we should do sometimes is marry with podcasts, but it's Laura and Toby <gasps> as the hosts. Or Laura and Toby oh. sitting in and, and weighing in. Wait, sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah Look at Toby's face. He's like, I so do not want to do that. No. He's like, people, people would love my relationship advice. <laughs> it's not just relationships. It's all sorts of things. It's, it's Toby's work. answer is, cut it off. It's work. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's all kinds of things. It's in-law stuff. It's like uh, work kids stuff, and, kids yeah. stuff. It's, it's, it gets complicated fast. Yeah. So, Kevin, if people want to get all that stuff, how do they do that? Well, they just sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I think people should do that. Yes, and thus ends the business section. So I have a question for you because it's a storytelling question. And I yeah. I feel like I'm real downer right now <laughs> asking okay. this question. One thing about the podcast that I do think that if this story weren't compelling, we would criticize about a different kind of podcast. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is told in past tense, right? So yeah. we were told at the beginning that Tony's out of prison. The reason this tape sounds so sketchy is because it's a patchwork of interviews. Some of them have been collected while Tony was in prison. Some of them have collected afterwards. Yep. And my new interview is with Tony now that he's out, right? Yep. So we know that he's out and we know that he's fine enough to be driving around and telling these stories and all these stories are told in the past tense. The one thing that's missing for me in all these robbery TikToks and all these stories is any kind of suspense. And that is, I just, I felt it so, like, starkly 
because any kind of robbery heist story is supposed to I don't know. You're supposed to feel, especially when the cop, I, by the way, the cop is such an interesting character. Yeah. The guy with the Southern twang. It was one of the funnest things you could do is chase bank robbers. It was, it was the really, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, the cops and the robbers. You're supposed to feel like, is he there? Is it going to happen? And the sort of lack of suspense because you already, the outcome is just so plain. I thought there was just some structural problems. I guess I I would slightly disagree. I thought that there was uh, some suspense in the storytelling about the last case. And you know that he's going to get caught, but there's like, okay, there's this van, and is it really, you know, you're trying to build something into it. Because you can't have it both ways. Mm. You can't wonder whether or not he's ever going to get caught. Well, it's okay you know, to know he's going to get caught, but um, the whole past tense thing, though, is, is like, it, it is hard to tell, it's, just, it's hard to do it that way. Yeah, I think that the whole conflict and mystery around it ends up being the story of Tony and Connor's mm. life of addiction. Because, you know, we just watch, you know, how low could they go? And eventually, I've got an idea. How about we rob a bank together? Mm. So, Toby, do you think Tony ultimately is a sympathetic character? Uh, That was kind of a tough one for me because he makes some decisions that I think I would have a hard time making, particularly concerning his son doing time while he stays out. Like, I guess somewhat like I'm going to make money. So when you come out, we'll have some money. But that's not, in fact, sort of what happens. I don't know. I mean, it's tough because it's not uncommon but the fact that, you know, they're doing heroin together, it's a tough one. It's interesting hearing them talk when they're both out and they're living together about how they want to stay away from people who are like, you know, living the life or, or you know, they don't want to have those people around. But they are, they're with each other. Yes. And that's, they're from that situation too. And now they're just drinking so much that he's destroying this liver. And that's a sh- that takes some heavy drinking for that short period of time. I mean, holy moly. Yeah, it feels like, although I don't think he was doing his liver any good with like the fentanyl and stuff to begin with. It's hard, but I, I, I feel like the smart thing in that situation is, is to yeah. separate for a while. If you're trying to isolate yourself from that stuff, you can't isolate together when your whole history Literally. is tied up in this. Like I, I learned it from watching you, yeah. Dad. I learned it from watching you, son. I mean, the word, I was very surprised that the word codependent wasn't used a single time in this in this story because yeah. this is maybe the most on its face definitive codependent relationship I've ever heard or seen a story about, right? Like Dad is prescribed medication. Dad becomes hooked on the medication. He then goes to pill mills and all this and need his... He's running out of money and then he walks in on his son smoking heroin and son is like, you want to try this? And then they go to this journey together. It's like the biggest definition of codependency you could possibly have. We then with all the emotional t- entanglements that go with it, the having to live together because the mom doesn't want the son to live with her, the depending yeah. on each other for money, the depending on each other for emotional support. Laura, what did you think about that? Because the relationship is portrayed in various stages in the podcast as being healthy and unhealthy, um, difficult and loving. Like it's yeah. heartbreaking in so many levels. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because, you know, when we get to the end of the podcast, it's it's pretty clear that neither one of them is going to break the cycle of this codependent, completely unhealthy relationship. And, 
you know, when you're saying like, we haven't heard this before, I was thinking, I, I remember writing this story one time and it was a time when police didn't like to talk about addiction. It was like in the early 2000s and we had this like serial burglar guy who was like breaking in all these homes. And I ended up writing this story about the family cycle. It was heroin and it was him and his mom and his grandpa sitting around, all three of them sitting around doing heroin together. And it was like that just window into like, okay, well, this is what's going on. And I feel like in this case, though, we have such a different level of dependency, because like you said, they're dependent on each other for everything. And you, you kind of start to think things are turning the corner when we hear Tony's now like Papa Tony and he's babysitting. And and then you're like, uh, something's going wrong. And then the next thing you know, like, nope, his liver's gone. Um, he's been drinking. He's like, is a fifth a lot? And I'm like, oof, yeah. uh, every day. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it also, it would have been, like you said, Rebecca, to hear maybe, because we've heard a lot about the opioid epidemic. We know a lot, like you said, this, this like, okay, somebody has back pain and then the back pain escalates and we know how this whole progression happens. But to be fair, though, I should interject. We do live in a part of a country that's been very, very hard hit by it. So maybe that is why we know so much. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, I worked on a lot of those cases when I was a defense investigator. And I'm a journalist. Um, so maybe maybe we yeah. are, maybe we so are maybe advantaged that way. Maybe we're jaded. But I guess I would have liked a little bit of insight from somebody, you know, in a professional capacity about the nature of this dynamic with the relationship between father and son, because it was very unique and it was also very sad. You asked the question of Toby of whether Tony was uh, sympathetic and likable, in the end, it really comes down to Josh deciding that. Or at least he could make the choice to make Tony look bad if he wanted to. He doesn't. He's not judgmental of Tony or Connor, but he doesn't quite exactly make excuses for them. He does try to provide some context about the nature of addictive behavior. So he does say, yeah, this looks pretty bad, but you also have to understand this. By doing so, he kind of allows the listener to make their own decision about whether or not these are people that deserve your sympathy or your ire. Yeah. There was one thing that I found troubling, which was that in one of the final scenes of the podcast, Josh says, I think they're going to be okay. Tony has felt for so long that Connor needs him. It's been almost a singular focus. He felt he just knew that he was the key to saving his son. But here's what I think. Connor's going to be fine. And Tony will be too. He just can't see it yet. I actually don't think it's a fair thing to say that, uh, you know, we think they're going to be okay. Because I, I don't think a couple, a, a six months or a year of being okay is actually a fair measure of whether or not somebody for whom this has been their dominant life force for the last decade um is going to be okay. I think I want them to be okay, but I can't say that they will be okay. Does that make sense? Like I, that really yeah. pulled me out of the texture of the podcast. I was like, Josh, I don't, I don't want you to say that because it's just, it's very, very hard. You know, I will say that I, I said this before. The other thing that pulled me out of the show is a couple of moments of, of Josh either saying things or not saying things that pulled me out. Another one was when he mentioned Tony's daughter, her being able to find peace I really wish he had just said she found religion 
and not said she joined the Church of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> Can I point the one sure. thing that took me out the one time yes. was when he was talking about sentencing for the bank robbery. Yes. And he said, you know, he had some things going for him. He's white. And yes. we, we all know exactly what he's talking well, the, about. Yes. And it's it just he didn't provide any context or, for that. But it's also kind of like, I guess maybe you don't. He did the same thing with the uh, everyone in this lobby has earrings and is a thug. Yeah. And I'm like, and he's at ouch. That you're yikes. That guy was an asshole, yeah. No, that guy was racist. No, he said that guy he said he, quote he said, that guy sounds like right, an asshole. But that yeah. guy actually sounded like a racist. And that one thing this podcast didn't address directly head on, which we saw with crack cocaine smooth conspiracy, we addressed it in death resulting. This opioid story cannot be told without telling the story of the crack epidemic and how it was just treated completely differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a, a to me a glaring missing piece that should have been just addressed somewhat, you know? So, Laura, you have thoughts about the relationship between Josh and Tony. What are your feelings there? Well, first of all, I think of Josh as like, when I listen to him, I'm like, he reminds me of Dan Taberski, and I love that because a lot of the delivery and a lot of the dynamic. So a lot of it reminded me, like, you know, we hear hear this relationship between Dan Taberski and Eddie Gallagher where Dan will just be like, so, and kind of like ask him pretty directly, but in like kind of a funny way. And I feel like Josh has that same ability. But what I liked and what I really respected was at the end when he's like, I've been a journalist for like over 20 years. I've interviewed all sorts of people. I've done all this stuff. But the amount of time that I spent interviewing Tony, I need to say, like, I could, I can't be objective. And I, I thought that was really good to put that out there because there have been other podcasts we've listened to where I felt like, okay, clearly the person can't be objective anymore, but, you know, they're still hiding under the cloak of, oh, I'm a journalist. And you can still be a journalist. But Call you, me you Suave. Hmm. Yeah, you need to just, and so I thought I really respected that he came out and he said that and uh, good for you. Objectivity is a bullshit construct that got taught in journalism school in 1950. And it's one of the big problems with journalism. It's not a bullshit construct. No, it's not. It's not. But it's a bullshit word sometimes. Yes or no, Kevin? Yes. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. All right. So let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Hooked? Lara Bricker, what do you think about this podcast? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Hooked? I got a thumbs up with this. I think that this podcast was interesting. It was well done. It shed light on the opioid epidemic and what it's like for somebody who's actually going through, you know, addiction. But it did tease us in with this bank robbery heist story of like, here's somebody who's done 30 bank robberies, the most prolific bank robber. And I can't lie, I love the bank robbery part, but I also thought it was an effective vehicle to get people to the more heavy part about the addiction, about Oxycontin, about heroin. I like Josh Dean's delivery style. I like the way that he interviews people and interacts with people. And if anything, it didn't need to be quite so long. Um, That's my only sort of criticism. I think it was like 10 episodes. And, you know, I think the story could have been told in less time. But at the same time, he had been interviewing this guy for like three years. So I'm sure he had a lot of tape to edit down for this. So I would give a thumbs up. It was really interesting. Toby Ball. 
I'll agree with Laura. That was actually, I was going to say that, you know, at times I felt like the pacing was a little slow. But yeah, you know, I give it a thumbs up. It's disturbing. You know, it's heartbreaking. It's funny because it, you don't really feel like there's a shift in tone when it goes to the bank stuff. But it is, it's just a different story when that's happening, right? It's not as dire and it's more just sort of interesting. And, you know, like Kevin was talking about, like you get this little sort of how to kind of peak and there's there's sort of a vicarious thrill that you should not be having when they're talking about opioid addiction so yeah so it's a, uh, it's a thumbs up it's, it's 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 really interesting um and i think people should listen kevin flynn uh, i'm going thumbs up i think it tells you an awful lot about the entry point for a lot of people for addiction is surprisingly common when it comes to opioids. It's surprisingly mundane with a sports injury or something like that. But it goes in different directions for different people. And for one guy, it ended up being robbing banks with a lot of other interesting and horrible stuff along the way. So this falls in the tradition of things like Missing and Murdered and The Village and other great podcasts that uh, use a crime as an entryway, not an entry drug, but as an, an entree, we'll say. Not a gateway drug. Not a gateway, yeah, but an entree into a larger story, and I thought it was well done. I'll also say I think the final episode, the one where we're kind of wrapping everything up like an epilogue, I'll say it's the best one I've heard in a very long time because it was very natural. I think it covered a lot of stuff, very honestly, including why he did the podcast the way he did. And it just didn't feel like checking a lot of boxes and tying up loose ends. I thought it was a really nice way to end the podcast. It's good all the way through. Thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up too. Not as strong as you guys. Um, I thought we have a great story here. I don't think it was put together super well. I did think it was too long, too many episodes. I think it uh, at the beginning in particular, it relied too much on one source's narrative of then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. I would not have told it in such a linear chronological way. I just I don't think it worked for me very well in that way. It felt too low stakes because it felt like, frankly, as a listener, I mean, we had the advantage because the whole thing is out of being able to listen to episode after episode after episode, right? So I couldn't help but think of if one episode was out, are the stakes high enough where I would actually listen to episode two and then episode three and episode four? I really do think the story editing could have been a lot stronger and the structural editing could have been a lot stronger because there's a lot of good stuff here. One of the most compelling characters in the podcast, honestly, who I think could have been an amazing villain is a cop um, who was not really positioned that way. And, um, you know, that was a huge missed opportunity, for instance. Um, so I think there were flaws in the storytelling, but not the story. I think Josh is a great reporter, and I think that he's a really strong podcaster. And I think the story is very good. So for that, those reasons, and because I do think it's an important topic, Despite some omissions, uh, which I talked about in the review, and despite some story structural issues, I will generally give Hooked a thumbs up. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. A 911 dispatcher in Alabama got an emergency call from a six-year-old Addie Cooper. The girl was desperate and wanted the police's help in finding her Barbie doll. WVTM News reported Addie said her mom was busy in the shower, so she called to see if they could help locate Barbie and her baby shark. She told the dispatcher she thought the bandits stole them. 
The dispatcher was good-humored about the call. Addie put her mom on the phone, and the operator explained the dire situation. The search for the missing toys then proceeded without assistance from law enforcement. Panel. Reporters at WVTM left out an important piece of information. Tell us, what really happened to Barbie? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I mean, we did just have New Year's Eve... Barbie might have gotten the new Barbie Corvette or perhaps a Barbie Mini Cooper for Christmas and clearly went out on a Thelma and Louise-like adventure mm. with her best girlfriend. Skipper? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, wait, isn't Skipper the boy? No. Skipper oh, is Skipper's a lady. Yes. No. A brunette lady. <laughs> Tell me about what do you think? Uh, it's grabbing breakfast at the Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kevin, what happened to Barbie? Uh, Barbie made new friends with mommy's electric toothbrush. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, That's probably. not where I thought that was going. True. Barbie. All right, we should probably end it on that note. So, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and admonish you for thinking that Skipper was not a gal pal, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And I was thinking of like Gilligan's Island. I don't know. And Toby Ball, <laughs> if folks want to reach out to you and uh, congratulate you on knowing that, in fact, Skipper was a gal pal, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to congratulate you on your excellent, excellent EPing of this show, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we practice making robbery masks out of old T-shirts. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I would love you to save these as business section one and business section two. Uh, no, A and B. One and two. Because <laughs> our, sh- our our shows are A and B. She, she's doing one and two. I prefer All right, one and two. the actual fuck. All right. <laughs> I'm the one who gets her files, so. What okay, whatever. How about uh, Alpha and Beta? <laughs> yeah. Laura and Toby are texting each other right now, but mom and dad are fighting. How about heads and tails? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. By the way, the next review is going to be super tight and short, okay? You say so. That's what you she can... said. All right. <laughs> Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. 
Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.